Welcome to episode 15 of Fireside Football, presented by Empire Sports Media. You're here with Brendan and Dylan. Dylan, you ready to recap the uh, weeks three and four of the NFL season? I am ready. It's been a very eventful four weeks. Excited that we have football truly back without any true hinks that could ruin the season. The NFL's done a good job of keeping things contained despite some COVID rises in Tennessee. But very excited to uh, recap this four weeks, especially since I laid out a few ultimatums in the last episode that kind of hinged on the performance in the next two games for a few teams. So excited to get going here. All right, well, let's get to it then. Through the first quarter of the season in the AFC East, where we'll start, the Bills are 4-0. They beat the Rams in week three, and they beat the Raiders this past week. Now, in the game against the Rams, Josh Allen looked fantastic. Josh Allen had 311 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown with one turnover. I mean, if you're accounting for five total touchdowns with one turnover, you are putting your team in a great position to win. And, you know, that adds to Josh Allen's fantastic play as a whole this season, which now has many people, as far as I've seen, having him in their top five for MVP voting through the first quarter of the season. What have you seen from Josh Allen that makes you excited as a football fan? And where do you think this team still has to go to make them a contender? So starting off with Allen and how he has performed this year, he truly has looked like a top five quarterback. I think that him, Russ, and Rodgers, Mahomes, and Lamar look like the top five right now. And Josh Allen has looked improved as a passer, and you can credit that to his improved weaponry with Diggs and even Moss out of the backfield as well now. But most credit of it to me really hinges on Brian Dapple. I feel like he's done a phenomenal job with progressing Josh Allen along and really refining his skills. And then the way Brandon Bean has kind of formed his collection of wide receivers around Allen with having Diggs and Brown, who are both burners, but Diggs can be a much more efficient receiver even when he's not just tearing you apart on fly routes. But then even looking at Cole Beasley out of the slot, that's a very productive weapon that Allen's had. And I just feel like the way the Bills have set up Josh Allen is how you set up a young quarterback for success. And it's something that I think teams throughout not even the AFC East, but even the whole conference and league should take note of because they've done a phenomenal job of, I guess, fitting the offense around his skill set. And it's exciting to see as a football fan, and it's exciting to see as a general riser in the power rankings because the Bills were expected to be a contender, but I don't think anybody expected them to be this good this early in the season. I still think, though, that they have some flaws on offense, and I still think, though, particularly me looking at their defense, their defense isn't as good as their offense right now. Their defense is genuinely towards the back half of the league, and I think that for a defensive head coach and Sean McDermott, he needs to step it up a little bit. Yeah, well, through the first four weeks of the season, their offense has looked much better than it has in the past couple of seasons. They've definitely taken a jump forward, and like you said, Stephon Diggs and John Brown are burners, but Stephon Diggs also is a very good route runner, and it really surprises me watching games because he seems like he's always wide open. It seems like there's never anyone that's playing defense against him, and you know, not taking any credit away from Josh Allen, he still has to go out there and make plays, but having someone like Stephon Diggs, who's a very reliable receiver, having him wide open when you need him is a huge plus. And 
you know, I think that's helping Josh Allen take this big step forward in the passing category that he has. But the one problem that I have with the Bills and the one thing I need them that I think they need to fix if they want to stay a contender is they need to fix their rushing attack. Because right now, Josh Allen, who has been their best rusher, has his numbers down a little bit this season. Yes, he had a rushing touchdown week three against the Rams, but that was just on four carries for eight yards. That's, that's not like Josh Allen. That's not what we're used to. And I think it's to the point now where they've gotten such little production and such inconsistency out of the running back position with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Singletary specifically has been very inconsistent. But defenses, I feel like now are honing in on making sure Josh Allen doesn't hurt them in the run game. Because even though he's been throwing, seems like all over the field, he does the most damage on the ground. And if they can keep him from destroying them in the rushing attack, then I don't think there's anything to worry about so far with their running back position. Um, I mean, do you agree? Do you think that in order for them to stay a contender and really elevate their chances, they're going to have to fix that rushing attack? I, I do agree. They rank in the bottom half of the league in terms of their rushing attack right now, and it's evident if you just watch them. This team is a pass-first offense that Brian Devil has established, and I think that, yes, you're building that around because Josh Allen has a phenomenal arm, but teams are so ready for him as a rusher anymore that, yes, he's improved as a passer and he's kind of fit into that role very well but you need somebody as a runner. And you can make the case that Frank Gore was actually a better running back than Singletary has been in his time last year in Buffalo versus Singletary in more of a lead back role this year. Moss hasn't really stepped up yet as a rookie. Yes, four games in, he's got time, but I feel like Moss has actually looked a little bit better than Singletary throughout most of the season. Singletary has his moments just like Moss has, but right now, whether they need to sign somebody like a vet, maybe to add a little depth, I don't know really where they even look, at running back or try to acquire somebody but right now that rushing attack needs something because at some point they're going to go up against a lot more talented secondaries yes they had the Rams secondary with Jalen Ramsey but at some point they're going to go up against secondaries that aren't going to leave digs as wide open as others have and at some point they're not going to be able to exploit that as much and the rushing attack is going to need to step up I just don't know how they can do it yet yeah, I mean, it's working for them so far through four weeks. They are 4-0 and and atop their division and one of the handful of undefeated teams left. But uh, the main thing with me is that rushing attack. And that, uh, that point actually brings me to the Patriots, who are 2-2 two and two and behind them, because I think the Patriots have the same problem, but we'll get to that. Patriots are 2-2 two and two after beating the Raiders in Week 3 and then losing to Kansas City 26-10 to this past Monday night. Now... We all know they didn't have Cam Newton for that game. Brian Hoyer started at quarterback and was eventually replaced by Jarrett Stidham. And, I mean, if you just if you say those two names and you're starting quarterbacks for, you know, for games, you're not going to win. But yeah, the Patriots, I think, yes, the final score was 26-10. to 10, But I think the game, regardless of the score, was much closer – than I thought it was going to be because in the first half it was a very tight game. They the defense did a great job of limiting that Chiefs offense explosiveness and really making it a close game in which if they got a couple better drives out of Brian Hoyer, we could be having a totally different conversation right now, let alone if Cam Newton played. But 
I mean, the Chiefs defense made some big plays at the end, but I was overall very surprised with how close this game was because of how dominant this Patriots defense really still is, even though they've had many players opting out, including Dante Hightower. What did you see during this particular game against the Chiefs that has you thinking, you know, once Cam Newton comes back, the Patriots will be okay? What makes me think that they're going to be okay is not only how good Cam has been, but how good the team did perform, as you said, on the defensive side of the ball without him because they kept this game close. I mean, this is a winnable football game if, like you said, Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham aren't your quarterbacks. Hoyer could do literally nothing in the red zone. Stidham was okay, but he wasn't as efficient as you really would have liked, and it actually showed that Cam becoming their starter was really the best move that team has made. But 2-2, two and two, you're 500. You have the Broncos this week, a definitely easy game, I guess you could say. And this is a team that I still think makes the playoffs and makes some noise, but this hinges on how quick Cam gets back, and I think that him coming back is imperative because he is the focal point of that offense. Yeah, and he definitely is the focal point, but this I want to go back to the point I said not too long ago, that they have the same problem as the Bills. Like we said with the Bills, their rushing attack has been not good. And very inconsistent, and Josh Allen is their top rusher, and defenses are honing in on him, you know, at least in my mind. Now, with the Patriots, Cam Newton's the same way. He is their best rusher on offense. They have Sony Michelle, they have some other guys, but they're very inconsistent. And, you know, I think defenses are playing Cam Newton kind of the same way they're playing Josh Allen, where they're focusing on not letting him try to destroy them on the ground. And if they can do that, I don't think they're necessarily worried about the running backs in that depth chart really burning them. I think that they just want to make Cam Newton throw the ball, even though he's been pretty good to this point. They want to make him throw the ball because they know just how scary he is on the ground. Do you think that I have a point here that that's the same problem that the Bills have? Or do you think that it's more of just the Patriots don't have the same kind of wide receiver talent the Bills have that makes him their top runner. I actually disagree with you on their rushing attack because I feel, yes, Cam is the focal point of the offense, as we've reiterated, but even without him, Rex Burkhead out of the backfield, yes, he's not been a phenomenal rusher, but he had a good game. Damian Harris in his return after reportedly being great in camp and then getting hurt, he had a 100-yard game the other night quietly. And Sony Michelle, he's not been great, but... The way they navigate their backfield as that committee that they've kind of always really had is much more efficient than the way the Bills do. Right now, they're ranked as the second-best rushing attack. Most of that is Cam Newton, but Damon Harris put up a quiet 100-yard game. Burkhead's been efficient. If you just have efficiency out of that backfield, which they've quietly really had, I think that they're going to be okay. But, I mean, next week, if Cam's not playing... The Denver Broncos' front is not a bad front, even with the injuries they have. And they could be in whoever is the quarterback's face if Cam's not there. And they're going to be forced to rush the football. If Damian Harris can't play good, if Burkhead can't, if Michelle can't, then this is a team's rushing attack that I'm concerned about. But at this point in time, I'm really not that nervous about their rushing attack. They've been quietly good. They've been okay, in my opinion. Now, Sony Michelle yesterday was placed on IR, I believe. So he's going to be out. 
And, you know, through three games this season, he only had 26 carries. The most carries he had in the game was 10 against Miami week one where he had 37 yards. That's only 3.7 yards a carry. That's not great. It's not horrible. I mean, he had a big breakout game against the Raiders in which he had nine carries for 117 yards, which is, you know, fantastic. But other than him, I mean, through three games that Burkhead has really been involved in the offense, he's had 30 carries. Excuse me. He's had 23 carries in the last three games. And the most yards he had was 49. So, I mean, their rushing attack is definitely better by committee than the Bills, but I think, especially with Michelle now going on IR, they need someone like Burkhead to make it, you know, I think a bigger jump. Otherwise, they're going to be in the same place as the Bills. But back on the defensive side, we spoke about how good they've been, but Stephon Gilmore has recently tested positive for COVID-19. Now, with him being out and their game, you know, in jeopardy for this weekend, but if they play, how much of an impact is his absence going to have on that secondary? Well, luckily, Brett Rippon is their opposing quarterback this week against Denver, and that is going to be the biggest benefactor to that defense because Stephon Gilmore is their top corner and was the defensive player of the year last year. But still, that defense is still going to be good, and you're going against a rookie quarterback who, I mean, the Jets exploited his weaknesses, and that says something because their defense has not been very good this year. And if they can exploit his weaknesses, even without their number one corner, I expect Bill Belichick to have a phenomenal game plan to exploit those weaknesses, and I think that they're going to be okay. Also, I love how you said that the Jets exploited some of his weaknesses. Um, they give up 37 points, Dylan. <laughs> they, <laughs> they forced turnovers. Points. They did. They did. That brings me to the next point. They forced turnovers, but I feel like the Jets' defense, tell me if you agree, relies on turnovers. If you don't if they don't force a turnover, you're scoring on them that drive. I mean, that's what it seemed like, right? And I do. I mean, with the Patriots, yes, they force turnovers, but they're also, I think, much more capable of stopping a drive with a three and out or not letting it get to midfield where they can force a punt simply because of how well they're coached and how disciplined they are. So even if they're not forcing turno- you know, as many turnovers and baiting interceptions with Stephon Gilmore not out there. I think their defense is going to have a much better day simply because of their ability to tackle and their ability to not give up points on every drive. But that brings us to the Dolphins. The Dolphins are 1-3. They owned the Jaguars in Week 3. I mean, that game wasn't even close. They blew them out, but then they lost to Seattle in Week 4. The game against Seattle was relatively close. They lost 31-23, to only an eight-point game. And that's much closer than I would have expected. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has really helped this team stay competitive game in and game out. And I know we all want to see Tua play, but if Fitzpatrick keeps us up and they stay competitive, how long do you think it is before Tua sees the field? I think you're really looking at a couple more week window. Right now, one in three. They don't strike me as that kind of team that should be 1-3. and three. I mean, they were in close games with the Seahawks, and really, I mean, you hit the note. The Patriots they were close with, they were close in, against uh, Buffalo. They've been efficient. Um, they're not one of the worst teams, but they're a middle-of-the-road team right now. And if you stay middle-of-the-road, 
I think Brian Flores is going to have a tough decision on his hands because towards the back half of the season, it makes sense to throw in Tagovailoa. But if you stay competitive through these games, how much time do you really want to give Tua? Do you want to give him a full season? And I feel like that's going to be the decision it comes down to is if they lose two more games, it really, even another game, it really would make sense to maybe throw Tua in there because how likely is it that they come back from a 1-4 start? Not that likely to make the playoffs. So why not throw Tua in there and get him some reps on a team that's been quietly pretty efficient? Yeah, I agree. I think the only thing that they would have to consider is, yes, Tua is considered healthy at this time, but even before playing a game, he is your franchise quarterback. So I think that, you know, if you're 1-4, and four, or one in five, but you're still competitive. I don't think they put him out there. I think they wait a little bit longer until this, you know, this team really starts to have some serious problems and they're not playing well at all in games because I just don't think that they want to, they don't want to risk him. I mean, even if he's listed as healthy, he's had a plethora of injuries in the past couple of seasons in college and you know, they just want to play it safe with him. I think that he will play at some point this season. There's no doubt about that. But I think that it's going to be sooner rather than later just because they want to know that they have him for next season healthy and for seasons to come. All right, Dylan. I put the AFC East first here for this episode because I wanted to get the disgusting Jets out of the way first. 0-4. They lost miserably to the Indianapolis Colts in week three. Then, last Thursday, against the Broncos, their offense looked much better. Sam Darnold had a big touchdown run, which got me very excited. But the defense gave up 37 points to Brett Rippon, the third-string quarterback for the Broncos, making his first career NFL start. Yes, they forced some turnovers, specifically by Pierre Desir, but 37 points, Dylan. 37! Greg Williams was supposed to be this guy that makes this defense, you know, good and makes them able to stay in games because the offense hasn't been great. It's been both this season. The offense hasn't been great, and then when they finally put up 28 points, the defense gives up 37. What about this game? And this 0-4 start has, I mean, I'm at a loss for words right now because I'm not surprised they're 0-4, Dylan, but I'm just surprised that the defense, especially against the Broncos, has looked the way it has. What have you seen? Well, first things first, if you're a Kyler Murray owner, and I know you are, Brendan, you oh, better yeah, hold on this week in fantasy. Week. Oh, he is going to tear that defense to shreds. Second thing, Pierre Desir, he had a actually pitiful game in terms of coverage, but it was the weirdest game for a corner maybe in history that I could remember because he also had a few takeaways and played good at times. And it was one of the most He should have had another interception too. There was that one yes. where Jerry Judy had the amazing catch over him for the touchdown that was, you know, that should have been in, De- in Desir's hands. But go ahead, Dylan. But it was a weird game, and that's just another note. But to talk about this team as a whole, one of the main reasons, and I was calling for his job to Jets fans, that I— wanted Gase gone was because, well, picture of incompetence. But the main reason I felt like they <laughs> couldn't fire him is who's going to take over? It's not going to be Dow Logan's because Lord knows he doesn't even do anything except hold the challenge flags for Adam Gase. And 
then you look to the rest of the offense who would take over. Well, probably Jim Bob Cooter, the current running backs coach, and he's been an interim coach before. But, Great name, by the way. Yes. But naturally, you'd assume that Greg Williams would take over as a head coach, but that defense has been awful this year. And yeah, you're not going to trust that. Yes, he has not earned the interim head coaching gig. So, I mean, at this point, it seems like initially I felt like, I'm, I mean, you guys all heard it. Two weeks ago, I was irate about this team. But I felt like they killed that irateness in me. And at this point, it's just sadness. And trust me, I'm still pissed off. But I don't have that hope that going into games, they're going to win anymore. At this point, to me, it's looking to the future. And, you know, I touched on Brian Dabble a little earlier. I If I'm the New York Jets... You can keep Adam Gase. You really can. Keep him for the end of the season because the shit show they are, it's probably the best thing to do. But looking, they need to start looking for potential head coaches, and it needs to be something that Joe Douglas has an input on because Lord knows if the Johnsons are hiring the next head coach, we're going to be talking about Bill O'Brien as the next head coach of the New York Jets. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's such a Jets move to fire Adam Gase and bring in Bill O'Brien, and that would have really pushed me over the edge as a Jets fan. But I have a question for you. After this 0-4 start, and, you know, they're probably going to be 0-5 Sunday with, you know, Joe Flacco being the starting quarterback now with Darnold out. But if this team gets the first overall pick because they are trending heavily in that direction, do you draft Trevor Lawrence? Because personally, I don't. I keep Darnold because I really do believe that Sam Darnold can be a good quarterback. He just has nothing around him. I would, I would trade that pick get a handful of other picks, and build weapons around Darnold. What would you do? Would you take Trevor? I feel like this is a question that neither of us wanted to have to answer at some point this season at all. It's inevitable with the Jets. But nonetheless, within the first four weeks. But I digress. I listened to Mark Sanchez the other day say something because he knows better than any Jets quarterback in the past few years what it's like being at that helm of that team. I listened to him say something that really resonated with me. This team is in a constant state of half-assed rebuilds where they claim they're rebuilding and then they go out and sign Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley and neither of those pan out. Mike McKagan loses his job, whatnot. But if you're really going to start over, you start over. But you don't start over by getting rid of Sam Darnold. So I wouldn't draft um, Trevor Lawrence, sorry. I wouldn't draft him. But if Darnold continues to play worse... I don't know how you don't, because, yes, the other night, Darnold looked phenomenal, and he has no pieces around him, but from a gameplay standpoint, on just purely Sam Darnold, and I'm saying this as a fan of him heavily, this is going to be the third NFL season now where he has not completed a full 16 games, and with Joe Flacco coming in, it's... Probably going to be more than one game, I got to be honest, because I don't think they're going to rush him back right away because Adam Gase already got some flack for leaving Mekhi Becton in and putting Sam Darnold back out there with an injury. So I don't think he'd risk that again, especially with all the negative attention he's received. So my point, I guess, is if Sam Darnold comes back after said injury and lights it up, and lighting it up is really just having a replication of that Thursday night performance because they're not going to win a lot of football games if won this year. If he can play quality football, then I don't draft Trevor Lawrence. But if he just now, what continues— what about this, though? Because that injury history is, you know, brings me to this point, is what if this shoulder injury lingers and they just decide, you know what, 
Let's keep him out the entire season as a hypothetical. What do you do then with the first pick? Then I... Sam Darnold doesn't have value then in that sense. Yes, any team is probably going to still fork up picks for him, but if you're going to trade if you're going to draft Trevor Lawrence, you're presumably trading Sam Darnold, so why not keep him then in that sense, I guess, and give it another year? Yes, I don't I can't think of anybody off the top of my head in the 2022 class that you might draft, but if Sam Darnold misses the whole year, then give him a year, extend his value, and completely go on with the rebuild, even though Trevor Lawrence is a once-in-a-generation talent. But that, and first off, that phrase gets immensely overused every year, but you're going to get a King's Ransom. Every generational talent. <laughs> you're going to get a King's Ransom for that first pick, and it makes no sense when it's not just Sam Darnold. It's this whole team, and no quarterback has it worse than Sam Darnold right now, and I stand by that statement. And a first-pick trade gets you a king's ransom of picks. So I regretfully keep Sam Darnold, even though I'm a diehard fan of him because he's had the injury history and he's had just a tough situation. But I trade the pick, and I completely start over with a new head coach that hopefully Joe Douglas picks and hopefully some weapons around him once and for all. But well, well, right. I don't know. To, start to, to finish off with the Jets here, what I would do if I had the first pick is – Keep Sam Darnold. I would trade back a couple of spots because then you could still potentially get the fourth or fifth pick plus one or two other picks. And then I would draft, if I were the Jets, Jamar Chase, the wide receiver out of LSU, because he is a stud. He is a great talent, and they need help at the wide receiver position. Let's move to the AFC West here. The Chiefs are 4-0, defending Super Bowl champions. They beat Baltimore pretty handedly. Um, in week three, um, and then, you know, they beat New England on Monday, as you've said already. They are outscoring their opponents 117 to 70. That's a 47-point swing. That's insane. That's a great start to this season. Now, yes, they've looked, you know, not unbeatable at times, especially against the Chargers. They looked like a beatable team, but I mean, is this team still number one in the NFL through four weeks because they're the defending champs? Or do you think that this 4-0 doesn't hold as much weight? When the bright lights are on, this Chiefs team performs. We saw that in the Super Bowl. We saw that against Baltimore. But when it's a game that seems winnable, like the Chargers game or like the Patriots game, it's almost like this team tends to fall near a trap game, but they don't bite because obviously they're 4-0 right now. But... I think that says more just about how good this team is rather than how many flaws they have, which they do have flaws that could be exploited, but and this team is not perfect, but this team is still the reigning champs. They still are a likely favorite to go back-to-back, and I wouldn't overlook, though, some of how they played against the Patriots and how they played against the Chargers because it felt like the good defensive coaches had been able to find a way to stop Mahomes in that offense to an extent right now and stop to them is keeping them at 23 or 26 points but right now I would say I'm confident if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs but they have to play better in games that are winnable winnable games and start having a couple more of those statement wins because as teams like the Seahawks and the Packers continue to have those statement wins as the season goes on there's going to be a little more momentum in those camps and a little less in the Kansas City camp. 
behind the Chiefs are the Raiders at 2-2. Two and two. Now, the, the Raiders started 2-0 and oh this season, looking very good, but they've lost the last two games. Week 3, they lost to New England. Week 4, this past week, they lost to Buffalo. Two good teams, and, you know, it's these type of games that make the, hard, the Raiders really hard to analyze for me because I think they can be a very good team, but they also have moments where they aren't looking like a very good team or a team that can be a playoff contender. I mean... How would you analyze this team through four games? I'd actually say, I mean, the first two games I was very impressed with how well the weapons have played, how well Carr has looked, how solid the defense has been. I was very impressed. But then now they're on a two-game losing streak, and it feels like they hung in there with the Bills, but not as much as you would wish if you're a Raiders fan. But... I'm actually going to hand this back to you because the Raiders, I feel, I really can't get a feel of, but you seemed kind of high on them after the first two games, so I really want to know how you truly feel about this team after four games now. See, that's why I said that they're hard to analyze because, yeah, I was pretty high on the Raiders for the first two weeks. I mean, they looked very good, but after losing these last two and Derek Carr not looking like the same player he was even in the first two weeks, I mean, it's such a hard team to analyze. I mean... I think that this is a slightly above-average team. I, I say that talent-wise, but I, I feel like they're going to finish at best 8-8 eight and eight this season. I really do. Um, through the first four weeks, um, they're at 500, and it, it's, it's tough. One week, they're great. One week, they're okay. It's tough, so we'll see what happens week five, but the Broncos are 1-3. They lost 28-10 to 10 against Tampa Bay in week three. And then here we go again. They, they scored 37 with Brett Rippon against the Jets. Now, do you think that even with Brett Rippon putting up 37, is Bortles going to be the starting quarterback at some point, Blake Bortles, before Drew Locke comes back? I think that this that decision makes the most sense because this past game and I'd say the week before is more about getting him acclimated with the offense. But... I wouldn't say that he will make that much of a difference anyways. I think he'll be okay. He'll be a lot better than Driscoll or Rippon. But, I mean, this week's going to be a big teller for their play as a whole because they're going against the Patriots. But this team needs Drew Locke back. I mean, they need Cortland Sutton back, but he's out for the year. Uh, They're missing Von Miller. This team's not what you'd want them to be right now and it's disappointing because as you were high on the Raiders I was high on this Broncos team I was very high on them because I thought this offense had all the potential to be one of the best in the league and right now it just seems like they've felt stagnant and I think that yes that is due in part to Locke but due in part as well to the overall performance of the team despite injuries has been lackluster and I feel I'd say that they're probably going to be picking in the top half of the draft because I think that there's still less injuries and they're still they needed infusion on defense at this point it sounds weird to say because of how talented that defense has been in the past but they need a star to add it in on that defense to even out the young stars they have on offense before I can really feel good about this team in the long term but off the first four weeks I'd be very disappointed to be a Broncos fan right now. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that they will be picking in the first half of the draft uh, come draft time because they are very talented, especially on offense. But with all the injuries that they've accumulated on both sides of the ball, really, in the first four weeks, I mean, 
it's really just looking downhill for this team who you did have very high hopes for, and I think a bunch of people did too. Um, but it, it's been tough through four weeks. I mean, one and three, they got, you know, easy game against the Jets. Um, you know, I, I just, I feel bad for this team. I do, because I really wanted to see Drew Locke exceed what he did last year with Cortland Sutton and then Melvin Gordon coming in too. Now, the Chargers. The Chargers I've been very impressed with. Yes, they're 1-3. and three. They lost to Carolina in Week 3 and then lost to Tampa this past Sunday. However, despite those losses, I've been very impressed with them and I've been very impressed with Justin Herbert because they have been extremely competitive. Their largest margin of defeat was seven points so far this season, and that was against Tampa. The most amount of points they have lost by in the game is seven. I mean, with a rookie quarterback? Do you, I mean, like, this team has looked much better than I thought they would. I mean, I felt, I felt bad for Tyrod Taylor, obviously, but, you know, this is great for Justin Herbert for not only his experience, but him proving that they made the right draft choice simply because of how competitive they've been. Are you also very excited for this Chargers future? I am. I if if I had to say right now of the two rookie quarterbacks I'm more impressed with, it's going to be hard. But I'm actually going to say Herbert because everybody expected Burrow to play quality football. Nobody expected Herbert to be this good this early, and I I was high on him coming out of the draft because I felt like despite going through so many coaching changes at Oregon, he continued to be consistent. Now he's got Anthony Lynn, who is a very good head coach, teaching him how to be an NFL player. Not a quarterback, how to be an NFL player, because it seemed like he could have fizzled out in the wrong spot and been a Josh Rosen type, or he had the makes to be a franchise quarterback. And I feel like Anthony Lynn was the perfect coach to have with him because of how good he is and how disciplined he is to teach a guy like Herbert that who had a lot of inconsistency at coaching in college. Herbert looks like a franchise quarterback right now. He went to war with Tom Brady and looked good, and that says something because Brady looked phenomenal. But, I mean, the defense without Derwin James isn't as good as you'd hope for, but this is a Chargers team that's actually overperforming where I thought they'd be at in four weeks and one in three that says something, but they look like a better team right now to me than a team like the Las Vegas Raiders that has a win up on them. I'd feel good to be a Los Angeles Charger right now, but in the long term, I still don't see anything really coming out of this year. But in the future, look for that team to make some noise. I think the point you made about them exceeding expectations, even though they're at 1-3, is the perfect way to say it because the record doesn't show how good they've been. They've had tough games, but Justin Herbert has looked great to begin his career, and I mean, through four weeks, one and three, I see that trend kind of continuing. Maybe one and three every four weeks, oh and four at sometimes, two and two at sometimes. But this team isn't going to make a huge jump and be, you know, a borderline playoff time, uh, playoff team this season. But they've looked, I think, very good through three weeks, four weeks. AFC North, the Steelers are three and zero. Oh. They beat Houston in Week Three, the sorry Houston Texans. But then their game got postponed against Tennessee due to COVID testing in the Titans organization. What have you seen from Pittsburgh, especially Big Ben and his, you know, his sort of comeback season that has you excited about this team as a whole going forward? 
Well, I really, I've hammered home in that defense a lot when I've talked about this team, but right now they're the number two ranked defense in football. Yes, one last game than the rest of the league right now, but I've been impressed with them on defense. I've been impressed with their offense, despite not ranking as highly as you may expect, because they are without Antonio Brown, who last time Big Ben had a full season, was his number one target. I think Juju's still got to step up a little more and truly grow more into that number one role. He still plays a lot like a 1B receiver and not as much like a 1. Uh, Deontay Johnson has had some costly drops that have been eye-opening. Connor, I, we actually talked about off-air, needs to be more consistent in general. But this is nitpicking on a team that's 3-0. and um, Obviously, barring COVID, likely could have been 4-0. and I've been impressed with the Steelers team. I think they'll win the AFC North. That's my, I guess, bold prediction of the show, not so bold. Um, but I've been impressed with the team. I've been impressed with how Big Ben's come back. Uh, what are you thinking, Brendan? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that Big Ben has looked impressive coming back. I do have them. You have them winning the division over the uh, over the Ravens, Dylan? I've changed my tune, and yeah, I do. All right, well, we'll get to that in a second. But, I mean... <laughs> I don't think that – I mean, I don't think they're going to win the division. I think they're going to be a wild-card team, maybe winning that wild-card round. Um, they're a good team. I just think that, like you said, they need some people to step up, like Juju, who's been inconsistent. James Conner has been inconsistent really the last two seasons. So they're definitely going to need some people to step up. I don't know if they would have beaten Tennessee if they would have played that game because Tennessee has been a little inconsistent too, although they are also 3-0. and Um but I think that would have been maybe the best game of the week. Ravens behind them, 3-1, and one, who you have staying behind them. They lost to Kansas City and then won against Washington. Now, I feel like it's the same story with the Ravens here. They are the best regular season team the past couple seasons, except against the Chiefs. I think the record was like Lamar Jackson is something like 21-1. and one against the NFL in the regular season, and then 0-3 or 0-4 against the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs, as Lamar Jackson said, are the Ravens' kryptonite. What do the Ravens have to do to prevent that in a potential playoff matchup going forward? You just hit my point that the Chiefs are their kryptonite, but really, I say this in a nice way because I do like Lamar and I like that Ravens team, and you were a little, it seemed like, taken back by my well, or my statement to it almost put knocked them me out of the podcast. <laughs> but my qualm with that team is they don't play good in big games. And whereas I just talked about the Chiefs being good in big games and not as great in games where the lights aren't as bright, the Ravens got embarrassed in the playoffs last year. You could say Lamar played good, but the team just couldn't hang with the Titans. And a year before that. They really just did not play good football in the playoffs. And now this year had the highest expectations that they've walked into in the past three years. And at 3-1, and one, they're that kind of team that I look at at 3-1 and one and they're going to make the playoffs. They could win the North. I think that the Steelers' defense is going to do exactly what the Chiefs' defense did to them and hold Lamar. But big games seem to be where that Ravens team struggles, and down the road it's going to hurt them, and especially in the playoffs. I think that they need to find a way, and I just don't know. I, I've kind of circled the point, but I don't know how they fix it right now. 
Yeah, I don't know either because people are saying, oh, the Chiefs make Lamar Jackson throw the ball. It's not like they know something that the other NFL teams don't know. You have to put pressure on Lamar Jackson and make him stay in the pocket and throw. I mean, I don't I don't know what they do with their game plan that, you know, actually works, but NFL te- other NFL teams better read that uh, playbook. The Browns, they're 3 and 1. They beat Washington week 3 and then scored 49 points against the Dallas Cowboys. 49. Now, yes, the Cowboys' defense is horrific, but 49 points. That is a lot of points, regardless of how bad the opposing defense is. Now, they almost gave that game back to Dallas if it wasn't for Odell Beckham Jr.'s 50-something yard touchdown run. I mean, what have you seen from this Browns team that makes you think they're taking a step in the right direction? Or do you think that this is just kind of like an aberration here and they're just a mediocre 3-1 and team? I wouldn't it, – it's a hard point for me to kind of stand behind because this Browns team has went from being a laughing stock to being an inconsistent laughing stock where they're hard to get a, I guess, feel of. I will say Kevin Stefanski, who I was not so high on initially as their head coach, has done wonders for the rushing attack that Kitchens couldn't seem to figure out. They're ranked number one. How that kind of continues without Nick Chubb remains to be seen. But, and then you look at their passing attack, it's not been good in my eyes. And I, I say that because they're currently ranked as the fourth worst passing attack in football. And that's not as much on Baker as it is as how Kevin Stefanski runs the offense. But what really struck me as the big point was their defense. This is a defense that has Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and other pieces around them they're obviously the two stars, but other pieces around them that are good pieces, and the defense has been underwhelming, and whether that means you make a change at coordinator or you add more pieces in the offseason, looking pretty far ahead, that's where they're going to be killed this year, is they just let up way too many points. And it's similar to something we'll talk about in the Cowboys in a little bit, but this Browns defense needs to step up because their offense has actually looked very, very good. Yeah, I think that they're finally figuring out, you know, how to use Odell. Because when Odell came to the Browns, I think everyone was raving about the combination of him and Baker Mayfield after Mayfield's great rookie season. And it never panned out to be anything because they didn't know how to use Odell and also keep Baker Mayfield comfortable. And I think they finally found that, get the ball to Odell not just as a wide receiver, but, you know, doing those jet sweeps and getting the ball out of Mayfield's hands quickly, not having to feel like he has to force it to Odell downfield. The Bengals, 1-2-1. and one. They tied Philadelphia and then beat Jacksonville 33-25. to Them, like the Chargers, they have been very competitive with their rookie quarterback. I think that people maybe saw this out of Joe Burrow more than they saw it out of Justin Herbert, but Burrow has looked very good as well. I mean, what have you seen from the Bengals here that has you excited for the rest of the season? Well, something that's kind of a unique statistic point. Right now, they have allowed 99 points, but they've also scored 99 points. So just a fun little fact that I wanted to throw in there. But 1-2-1, and this is a team that I've actually kind of liked. And I say that actually a lot about the AFC teams. Trust me, you won't hear that on the NFC. But... 
I've been impressed by them. Um, I think Burroughs looked good. I think that one thing that I a point I want to make is Mixon looked very good this weekend. Before that, he was inconsistent. But in terms of their receivers, it seems like T. Higgins and him have the best rapport right now. And far and away above Ross and Green. I'm Him and Boyd have done well. He hasn't looked great with that connection with A.J. Green. No. And I feel the fact that Higgins is getting more reps than Ross, who last season took a step forward and has taken a step back in four games— I'd say if I'm the Bengals, I maybe even look and put some feelers out to trade AJ Green and try to kind of build this offense more around Burrow throwing the ball to Higgins and Boyd because right now he looks good when he's throwing to them and Mixon had a better game than he's played, but if Mixon can keep it up, then that's a different thing. Um, But right now this offense needs to improve in terms of their offensive line because it's right now looks like just the floodgates are open they improved this week but i i'd be disappointed on their offensive line and their defense needs to step up to an extent but right now they're just kind of a mediocre football team from a general standpoint but i'd say for the future i'd be encouraged yeah i agree with what you said about potentially trading aj green because yes it's only been a quarter of the season but like you said, T. Higgins has looked like their best receiver. Now, that's not saying that A.J. Green is bad in any sense of the word. He is a very good receiver, but he could also not be their pest this season, potentially. So, you know, if he proves that he's still healthy and that he stays healthy, they could get a, they could get a good amount for A.J. Green and really build this offense, like you said, the way that it should be. All right, Dylan. AFC South. Almost to the Texans. The Titans, 3-0. They also, as we said earlier, had their game postponed against the Steelers. They beat the Vikings by one in Week 3. The Titans have surprised me because they haven't looked like really the same team that they did last year, in my opinion. They're not controlling—they're still controlling the ball, but not to the same extent, not the elite extent. They've had closer games. I mean, all their games are close, but they're scoring more points. And I think that Ryan Tannehill is showing that he can be more than a game manager who needs to be carried by Derrick Henry. Do you agree with that? I do agree. I feel like the Titans have been underwhelming right now, but Tannehill has actually looked pretty good. But I I just, to make a point, some, I guess, breaking news, depending on when we release this, but Corey Davis has just been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. So when they do finally play, he's been a breakout player this year. And that's a big hit to a team that's already depleted because of a pandemic. And I guess to kind of spin zone this, I mean, what have the Titans done right now that's different from the other 31 NFL teams? Because aside from the Patriots, they're the only team that's been facing some sense of an outbreak right now. And I guess this is a non-football point to make after he made the point about Tannehill, but they've got to get their shit together or they're going to burn down the rest of the NFL at this point. And aside from that on a on-the-field standpoint, they really are 3-0. When they get back, we'll see how they play. But they need to, I guess, take a step forward, which sounds weird to say, or else they're going to be the kind of team we talk about as a second-half team again, which they were last year, and that's how Derrick Henry always plays. But 
this is a broad point right now of just they need to get themselves together and that's weird to say for a 3-0 team but they need to get themselves together because right behind them are the Indianapolis Colts who are playing very good football right now yeah and it's funny you said that because I agree with you 100% they need to get their shit together but <laughs> it is funny to say for 3-0 team because of how we were raving about the Chargers looking great at 1-3 and and that's just that's sports for you but the Colts, like you said, are right behind them at 3-1. and one. They beat the Jets easily, and then they beat Chicago and Nick Foles this past week. Their defense has been outstanding. Phillip Rivers has looked pretty good, but their defense is really the backbone of that team, and they have looked outstanding so far. How far do you think their defense can take this team? Their defense, you just hit the nail on the head, Brendan, has been great. Talking about Phillip Rivers... 984 yards, four touchdowns, three picks. Oh my God, sorry for that. <laughs> but a 64.4 QBR, 17th in the league right now. I'm disappointed in how he's played, but I'm not surprised because before the season I said, I think he's still throwing a little bit of a medicine ball. But this is a defensive football team right now and led by Bobby Okariki and Darius Leonard. They're playing very, very good defensive football. They're going to take them to the playoffs as a wild card team, probably a 9 and 7, 10 and 6 team, but maybe they win the division because we just talked about the Titans needing to get themselves together, but I've been impressed with their defense and I think their defense is going to be the reason they make the playoffs and maybe even make some noise. So let's go over these last two teams in the division here quickly because I don't think there's much to say about either of them. Jaguars are 1 and 3, lost 31 to 13 to Miami and then lost to the Bengals this Sunday. I think they're playing the way we've all expected. The Texans, 0-4. They lost to Pittsburgh, then lost to Minnesota. Then they fired general manager and head coach Bill O'Brien. I don't know if you remember this last episode, Dylan. I was saying this needs to happen. <laughs> they, need, they needed to fire Bill O'Brien, and they finally did it. He ran this team to the ground. If you look at the trades that he's done, what they've gotten versus what they've lost, it's not even close. Do you like the firing now, or do you think it should have been done later? Well, first, while we're talking about incompetence, as much as I like Mike Brable, what I was trying to find when you heard the little snippet of a commercial or whatever, the Titans held an off-site workout, and that is official now. So that is what I'm saying they need to get themselves together because that's how it spreads is when you make ignorant decisions. So Mike Brable needs to get his locker room together or else the whole NFL is going to suffer. As for another team that needs to get themselves together, they finally are. Uh, general manager, offensive coordinator, head coach. I mean, he might even have a stake in the team the way he was continuing to climb the ladder. He probably does. <laughs> Bill O'Brien has been fired. And for the sake of the Texans, thank God, because reportedly at a heated exchange with J.J. Watt, he's ruined Deshaun Watson in terms of trading away his weaponry. And I would say... Now you start from square one if you're the Texans because whoever inherits that team as the general manager and the head coach and the offensive coordinator is got their hands full because you have a star quarterback in Deshaun Watson but no real way to put your pieces around him because they're without their premier picks, which would be really high picks now because they traded them away to the Dolphins for Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills. So they're in a very, very tough spot and Romeo Cornell has got a tough, tough way to coach this team but with that said they had four really hard games to start the season 
So looking in the long term, I expect them to actually play pretty well once they get rolling under Romeo Cornell. I don't expect them to turn this around. I still expect them to have a high pick that they don't even own. But the Texans, you guys took the first step and you got rid of your everything position holder in Bill O'Brien. And hopefully he's not got still some ties into that team. Maybe he made himself running backs coach and we don't even know about it and he's going to promote himself. But he's gone, hopefully, finally, for Houston Texans. And thank God for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even a Texans fan, but when I got the notification that he's been fired, I stood up and I clapped. I mean, it's about damn time. All right, Dylan, 52 minutes in. I promise you the NFC will not be as long, and that's partially because we're starting with the NFC East, who is a garbage division, and I do not want to spend that much time on them. The Eagles, 1-2-1. and one. They tied Cincinnati, then beat San Francisco 25-20. to 20. Real quick, how do you feel about Carson Wentz? Well, I'm ready to race through this division. Carson Wentz, inconsistent, looked a little bit better on Sunday Night Football, but he's going against a team that had an injured front. And I'm excited to see how he continues to perform and excited to see the Jalen Hurts rumors ramp up because he's been heavily regressing this year in the likes of a 2015 Aaron Rodgers regression. So excited to see how he continues to try to refute that. But right now, that Eagles team just doesn't look great. All right, I'm loving this quick movement here with the division. Washington football team, 1-3. and three. Lost to Cleveland, lost to Baltimore. I think everyone thought they would lose those games. But now Dwayne Haskins has been benched. Kyle Allen will be starting for them for their next game. Dwayne Haskins won't even be active. He's not even taking any reps right now with the team. Do you agree with this move? Yes, I think this is just a slow progression to Alex Smith because... And I say this, all football fans want to see Alex Smith back, but no football fans want to see Alex Smith back. Because Absolutely. As, as the story, you want to see him back, but every time he takes a hit, you're going to cringe and just hope he gets up. So Absolutely. it's going to be hard to watch him get back. But this team right now, once they finally get a solid quarterback at the helm, hopefully Alex Smith steps up and is back and he's healthy and good. They've got the makings to be a 49ers-esque kind of turnaround team, especially with Ron Rivera at the helm. But right now, they need to figure the quarterback situation out. And other than that, though, they could end up winning this division because right now, they don't look that bad, even with their quarterback issues. Dallas Cowboys, 1-3. They lost by 7 to Seattle Week 3 and then just gave up, as we said earlier, 49 points to the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Cowboys have a good offense. They have an awful defense. I mean... I really I don't know what to say about this team. They should be honestly 0-4 right now. They should have lost that game to the Atlanta the Atlanta Falcons, who are just garbage in their own sense. <laughs> but I mean, this team is not looking like what anyone thought. I mean, what do you think? Quickly, remember quickly, what do you think about this team? Uh, Prescott's proven that he is a franchise quarterback and deserves that big, big check that Jerry Jones is probably already writing to him. And as for the defense, maybe don't write that big, big check to Dak Prescott yet because that defense is absolutely atrocious and is going to be the killer this year because their offense is easily the best in football. New York football giants. Sorry, Alexander Wilson, founder of Empire Sports Media. They also suck. They lost by 27 to the San Francisco 49ers and then just lost to the L.A. Rams. They looked pretty, you know, it was a close game against the Rams, losing 17-9. to But correct me if I'm wrong here, Dylan. 
The highlight of their season so far is that post-game fight with Golden Tate and Jalen Ramsey. Do you agree? I think that we needed to put some gloves on them and get them in the ring because that would have made a lot more entertainment <laughs> than watching everybody stand in the way. But aside from that, yes, that was the fight of the uh, year and the entertainment of the year for the New York Giants to this point. All right, that was a real quick four, three minutes on the NFC East. Love it. NFC West, Seahawks, 4-0. and They beat Dallas and Miami in weeks three and four, respectively. They haven't been dominating teams. But they are 4-0, and Russell Wilson has looked insane, Dylan. He is on a mission. I think he either has the record or tied the record for most touchdown passes through four weeks, at least in the franchise. I mean, is this is this a Super Bowl year for the Seahawks through four weeks? I'm salivating at the opportunity to watch the Seahawks and the Packers, which we'll get to in a sec, finally play at some point. But... I I would say yes, but watch out for that defense. Their defense has really not been good to this point, and they need to take a step up on defense to continue to do well, but Russell Wilson has looked great. But, Brendan, he threw an interception, so is he going to get an MVP was vote blowing. this year? I know, blowing. but is he going to get an MVP vote this year? Because one the interception, interception blew it. His chances yeah. are done I, I don't the think... NFL votes. Yeah. Now, also, spoke about the defense real quick. Jamal Adams, I don't know if you saw it, posted a, a picture of himself at home watching the Seahawks game. Now, he shortly afterwards deleted the picture because if you look on the table in front of him, there was a blunt. He quickly deleted the picture and posted the new one with that edited out. So look for the storylines for that in the upcoming days. We'll see what happens there. Rams behind them at 3-1. and one. They lost to Buffalo and then beat the New York football giants as Jalen Ramsey beat Golden Tate potentially. I didn't see what was going on in the pile there. <laughs> but how do you feel about the Rams so far in this already better-looking season than last year? Uh, the rushing attack needs to take a step forward. Henderson looked okay early, but now the uh, last game against the Giants, which was just a real mess, I think, for both teams. But I'd say they need to take a step forward in the rushing attack. Goffs looked very good. Um, the offenses looked solid. The defenses looked great. I feel like Ramsey and Donald are starting to kind of really take a look like the number one and number two defensive players in football. And I've been really impressed with the defense, really impressed with that team as a whole. And Sean McVay is finally back to form after a rough year last year. Yeah, luckily for the Rams, that game they had against the Giants, which wasn't that pretty, that was the one team that they could play against and still win that game, other than the Jets. <laughs> Cardinals, 2-2. Two and two. Lost against Detroit and lost against Carolina in weeks three and four after starting two and zero. Oh. They will be three and two after this week though because they will beat the <laughs> New York Jets. How have you felt about Kyler Murray's start to the season? Because it's been somewhat up and down. Underwhelmed. Um, I expected better, um, but it's not as much on him as the poor performance of Kenyon Drake. Actually, he's been absolutely awful. Um, the Cardinals. Offense as a whole has been slightly underwhelming, but, I mean, they're going to look a lot better after this weekend, unless Joe Flacco magically pulls something out of his ass, and so does Greg Williams, and they yeah, pull Ravens, off some Yeah, Joe miracle. Flacco shows up. <laughs> but aside from that, um, these birds, um, kind of playing off the Ravens there, but these birds <laughs> have just not flown as high as I expected at this point. Loving that choice of words there, Dylan. <laughs> 
San Francisco 49ers, they are also 2-2, two and two, still without some players, although Jimmy Garoppolo is coming back to practice this week, which is great news for the 49ers. They beat the Giants and then lost by five to the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you think that if Jimmy Garoppolo has to be at another one or two games, where is this team going to be when he gets back? I I don't know. Um, it's probably the best, actually, thing for me to say because I don't know because their offense, aside from Nick Mullins really, really just playing awful on Sunday Night Football, their offense well, I'll tell you hasn't this, looked They play the Dolphins on Sunday and then the Rams the week after. I'm not feeling too high about this 49ers team. I think that this was a team that I went into the season thinking would probably win the NFC again. But right now, I'd say that they likely won't even win the division or maybe even finish in second place. I think this is a third-place team without Boza and Thomas, and they're just so depleted right now that injuries are going to be the killer for this 49ers team. All right, NFC North here. Half the division is good, half the division is bad. Packers, 4-0. They might be the best team in football, Dylan. They really might be because... They beat New Orleans, then just beat Atlanta, who is awful. But Aaron Rodgers, you know, I think <laughs> we joked about Russell also throwing that interception, ruining his MVP chances. Aaron Rodgers has 13 touchdowns to no interceptions. This man, I'm going to say it again, Dylan. He is a bad man. Aaron Rodgers is insane. He's playing at another level right now. And I think the Packers could be the best team in football through four weeks. How do you feel? This is, as I said two weeks ago, a revenge tour for Aaron Rodgers. It was a silent revenge tour to start, but now he's even leaning into it. On Pat McAfee's show yesterday, he said, you know, I heard the rumblings that this was going to be a lesser year for me, but I find it funny because a career year for other quarterbacks is what they view as a bad year for me. He didn't exactly say it in that way, but it was a phenomenal line, and this is a Rodgers revenge tour. And Rodgers is on fire, as is this whole Packers team right now. Even without Devontae Adams, they looked phenomenal. And I'd say right now, and I'm going to back it up, this is the best team in football, and Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league right now. Sorry, Russell Wilson, that one interception. Sorry. But he looks, both of them look phenomenal, but Rodgers just looks a step better right now because of lesser weaponry, I'd say. But I, I'd say this is the Packers and the Seahawks in a two-dog race right now for the NFC. Absolutely. Now, behind them are the Chicago Bears, who are 3-1. and one. They beat Atlanta, as has everyone, and then they <laughs> lost to the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, you can tell I don't like the Falcons. The Bears, though, this might be weird to say. Are they the worst 3-1 and one team in football right now? Yes. I, I Every time you... Last week you said their or two weeks ago you said their record, and then I keep hearing three and one, three and one. How? It's the only thing that keeps popping in my brain. They've just gotten so lucky. I mean, Foles. I think here's my strategy. If I'm Matt Nagy, you start Mitch Trubisky every game the rest of the way, but you pull him out after one quarter or one half, and you put in Nick Foles because once you put him in, he balls out. But I think him knowing he's the starter has some adverse effect on him because he plays half as bad when he is the starter so I really believe that I think that this team at some point is gonna trail off but right now I think and really to the end they'll probably be in the hunt until the very end 
but by just being lucky and by being a quality defensive team. Behind them are the are the Vikings. Excuse me. At one and three, they lost to Tennessee, and then they beat Houston thirty-one to twenty-three this past Sunday. Kirk Cousins has not looked great. Is he a system quarterback, Dylan? Because this has nothing to do with the record. But is he a system quarterback, or is he a great starting quarterback? You know, I, I he's not that a good great makes it too easy of a question. Is he a good starting quarterback, or is he a system quarterback? If they're I'd say it's a spectrum, actually. It's a, my way of walking out of that question, Brendan. But I think he falls right in the middle of... Right now, I'm actually going to put the blame on Mike Zimmer. I think that you have so many pieces. Yes, Daniel Hunter could miss the season, likely will miss the season. But, I mean, defensively, they've not looked great. Offensively, now, just now, after four weeks, he's finally building a connection with Justin Jefferson. Do you think, but, though, that Stephon Diggs being out is hurting that offense that much? No, I really think it's on Mike Zimmer. You think I it's think, strictly Mike Zimmer, okay. I, I think, obviously, a big part of it's on Kirk Cousins as well, but I think that right. Kirk Cousins is a system quarterback, and the system's not working right now, so they need a new infusion, and I think that's going to be a new head coach after the season. That's a bold prediction there. It gets bolder when we talk about the next team. Well, I was going to say, here we're going to another place where there might be a new head coach. The Detroit Lions are 1-3. They beat Arizona. And then they lost to New Orleans after being up 14 nothing early. I'll let you take the floor here with the Lions because I know you got stuff to say about Matt Patricia. Not only do I have something to say about Matt Patricia, but I have something to say about Matt Stafford. I think that starting with Patricia, how he still has a job is as embarrassing as Adam Gase and Dan Quinn still having a job. Oh, but I can't I... wait for Dan Quinn, Dylan. <laughs> I, to preview the Falcons, Brendan sent me a text this weekend. I guess I have to tear into the Falcons again, so get ready for that one. But this is my tear into team, and that's the Detroit Lions. To first things first, for Matt Patricia to take the podium and say, you know, I had to do a lot of work when I came in here. Not often do I agree with Dan Orlovsky, but he said, no, you didn't, because he didn't. Jim Caldwell had them in a 9-7 and seven team. They yeah. were a good team, and they've regressed from that to a embarrassing team. And Matt Patricia is going to be gone. I think that if I'm making a prediction now, Joe Brady is the next head coach of the Detroit Lions. Kind of a bold one out there. But I think that he just kind of would be the innovative coach that seems to make sense since they went with a defensive innovative coach. Now they go offensive. But my other bold prediction is Brady's going to want his own guy. And I think that Matt Stafford is gone after this season and ends up somewhere like... Uh, I was thinking of it maybe... Indianapolis, but probably not because I think they'll keep Phillip Rivers another year. But I think maybe he ends up somewhere like a, um, maybe a Chicago after this season. And we're going to see a new Matt Stafford. Um, and I think that it's time for the Detroit Lions to divorce from Matt Patricia. And collateral damage of that is going to be Matt Stafford. All right, Dylan. Last division here. I saved... The NFC South for last, because I cannot wait to end it with the Falcons. But Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 3-1. and one. They beat Denver and then beat the Chargers in a close, close game where Tom Brady looked fantastic. But, you know, I feel like for a 3-1 and one team, they haven't been spoken about as much, which is weird to me because you know, over the last three games, obviously they lost to the Saints week one. Over the last three games, they've been averaging just over 32 points a game. I mean, this offense is finally clicking. So, 
my question to you, Dylan, is why haven't been why haven't we been hearing much about the Buccaneers? Because it's all going good. They only like to talk about Brady when all things are going bad, and that's coming from I'm a New the York same Jets way. fan. And when it all goes bad, that's when he gets the blame. But when it all goes good, and he had a game of the week, la- or he was the player of the week last week, you're talking about a 40 plus year old quarterback who looked like the best quarterback in the South in the AFC or the NFC South last week. He had five touchdowns. Yes, you could make the case he played better than anybody last week. The reason he got player of the week. But not only that, but their defense has been phenomenal. Todd Bowles has done a masterful job. Devin White's looked great. They're just all around. The defenses look great. Their offenses look great. And this Buccaneers team is outperforming my expectations because I thought they'd have trouble early. But I think that this is a Buccaneers team that is that number three seed in the NFC by the end of it. So the Saints are behind them at 2-2, two and two, who I still had winning the division before the beginning of the season. They lost to Green Bay by seven, and then beat Detroit. If the Buccaneers are taking the number three seed, what is the outlook for the Saints after these four weeks? Uh, a wild card team. I think that there's too much of a reliance in that offense on Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara has stepped up and kept them competitive, but Drew Brees is not regressing. He is not in any sense right now, maybe slightly without Michael Thomas, but not as bad as the media is seeming to make it up. But this Saints team just lacks an identity right now that they've had in the past. And I think once Thomas gets back and as the season wears on, they'll get that. But they're an October team. And I think by the end of this month, we're going to be talking about them in a different light. And I think they're going to be a contending team by the end of it. And they'll make the playoffs, but they're not going to be a noise-making team this year. All right, the Panthers are behind them. Let's get through the Panthers quick because we're at a minute, an hour and nine minutes, Dylan. And I still have to roast the Falcons. Well, so. I'll let you have the complete floor to end off with the Falcons because I've been actually very high on the Carolina Panthers. Matt Rule has done a phenomenal job early. Joe Brady's done a great job. I think that that offense has not really missed a beat without Christian McCaffrey, which says something because he's the best running back right now in the game, except for Aaron Jones, who's been phenomenal, and Alvin Kamara right now. But he, when healthy, is the best running back in the game. Mike Davis has looked solid in replacement of him. But I'm going to give Teddy Bridgewater a little respect on his name. He got pushed out of the Jets and wasn't ready to get the opportunity in New Orleans. But I don't think he'll be the starter next season for this Carolina team. I think they'll go somewhere else. But I think, because I think they'll probably go after a quarterback in the draft. But I think that... If he keeps playing as good as he is, I'm going to eat those words and happily so because he's looked very good, and that team is probably going to be an 8-8 eight and eight team when it's all said and done. And good start for Matt Rule, good start for the Panthers, and I thought the Falcons have been awful, but take the floor, Brandon. I know you've well, been Real waiting. quick, I think with the Panthers, um, which I thought you were going to mention, I think that the connection between Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson has been spectacular. I think that they have really hit a groove and that that has been a huge boost to this team. And I'll just say the Jets should have kept him. All right. Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> oh, and four, Dylan. Oh, and four. They are horrible. Yes, the Jets are oh, and four. Yes, the Giants are oh, and four. Yes, the Texans are oh, and four. The Falcons are the worst oh, and four team in the league. I don't understand, Dylan. You're allowed to speak during this. I'm not going to take the entire time. 
I don't understand why no one is saying Dan Quinn should be fired right now. Dan Quinn has to be gone. Ever since that disgusting Super Bowl collapse against the Patriots, it has been nothing but downhill for this team. Yes, it's not all Dan Quinn. The offense can score points, you know, on a pretty much nightly basis, but their defense is god-awful. They cannot stop anybody. Once again, they don't know how to recover an onside kick against the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, if if I'm in a bad mood after watching the Jets, I watch the Falcons game to get into a good mood because they are just a joke to watch. I, I don't they are very talented, especially on offense, with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Todd Gurley. I mean Calvin Ridley too. What the hell is going on with this team? They're horrible. They're horrible, Dylan. I, I, I don't understand I don't understand why Dan Quinn is still here. Do you think he's gonna be fired within the next couple weeks if this continues? Well, something I want to point out is they have a top 10 offense. And they this do. Is, Their offense isn't bad. And 11 first-rounders, as ESPN and everybody in the world will not let you forget, but they have the second-worst defense in football, and they have a defensive head coach. Dan Quinn does not deserve to have a job coaching in the NFL anymore, and I believe this is Eric Bieniemy's seat just that he's keeping warm yep. right now. Yep. But I would say that... I actually think you had the perfect line to kind of close out this show is he is the kind of coach that you watch to feel better about Adam Gase because he is just as incompetent, if not worse. And it just seems like they are just such an undisciplined football team. Now, who's the, you said they're the second worst defense. Who's the, who's the worst? Is that the Cowboys? No, the Seattle Seahawks. Really? Okay. Well, whatever. Seahawks are 4-0. Falcons are 0-4. I don't want to end this show on a bad note. Um, so if you're a Falcons fan, I'm sorry. If you're an NFL fan, I'm sure you could laugh at the Falcons with me. <laughs> but uh, thanks for joining us today on this episode of Fireside Football. We will see you again in another two weeks for the recap of weeks five and six. Dylan, it was fun. It was. It's always a pleasure, Brendan, and it's always a pleasure to finally be talking about NFL football again. Absolutely. And once again, you can give me and Dylan a follow on Twitter. You can find me at Brendan Carp ESM and Dylan at Dylan Price 27. Thanks for joining us.